I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Henderson! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance, flat. No. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he's... Say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up, when we finally turn it over, make How do you go about uh, relaxing a nervous studio guest? I guess normally... By insulting the female staff members. Is that, sure. is that how you go that's about it? That's number one in your list you of priorities. Going some, somewhere on somewhere. <laughs> Not from what I've heard. I've heard you're pretty good at that. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, maybe a conversation that we should take offline, as is the modern way of saying these things. You are welcome to the Friday Football Podcast uh, with you today. Uh, myself, Adrian Barry. Dave McIntyre is back with us after a week off. You enjoyed your week away from us? Uh, yeah, where was I last Friday? Oh, listen, I can't remember. Knows? At home in bed, probably. I can't recall where I was last Friday afternoon. Your commitment to the Friday Football Podcast is up there with Gilroy's, i.e. Yeah. non-existent. And Nathan Murphy as well. Back again. You weren't put off by week one? Well, I've no choice, apparently. Um, you did pretty well, Dave. We actually failed last week to get any predictions from you in any way, shape or form, so you've just kind of disappeared a little bit off the leaderboard. Right. Now, in fairness, you weren't exactly really on the leaderboard. I didn't get any with. wrong, though. You didn't, which is probably the most positive thing to come out of that. Nathan went straight in with 7 out of 10 correct last weekend. I'm just uh, raising standards across the place. Over you really have. That's straight off. Ridiculously impressive. Uh, 6 out of 10 for Jer, and 5 out of 10 for me. Um, so when I eventually get around to doing an overall tally of the thing, um, I'm sure I'm still ahead. Yeah, I'm fact, sure I'm bottom. I'm pretty Don't sure. Don't think I'll lose too much sleep over it though. I'm pretty sure uh, Jar is actually ahead. Yeah, you're, you're you're bottom. I might just just give you an average of your previous scores. That just to keep me on the leaderboard. Three or four out of ten is generally the way we go with that. The draw oh, for the um, Champions League quarterfinals was made today. Barcelona against Atletico Madrid. Real Madrid against Borussia Dortmund. PSG against Chelsea. Manchester United against Bayern Munich. We obviously want to preview all the weekend's games. We'll do that in a second. But I would suggest that Manchester United getting Bayern Munich is the best possible draw uh, from a David Moyes point of view. They're in bonus territory now. So no matter what happens, barring they get beaten 6-0, in each leg this is going to be a result because there are other teams in that draw that potentially Manchester United might have been expected to get a result against who exactly well you could make an maybe? argument Dortmund you could make Man. an argument Atletico like you know have United fallen so much so so far so quickly that already we're saying that quarterfinals of the Champions League is bonus territory the, it is definitely bo if we had this conversation five or six days ago this is bonus territory it's I bonus territory now because of the first leg deficit against the against the Piakos. generally though it's not I mean he would have expected to be in here in this position when they drew Olympiacos yeah so it shouldn't it's, be bonus territory at this, at this point in time it's grade A if you look up the dictionary for bonus territory it says but Manchester it's United only in the bonus territory because they were so Champions pathetic League in 2014 Greece. that's the only reason well, that, and they've been so pathetic for the rest of the season. But if they'd gone to Greece and they'd drawn nil-nil, we wouldn't see their presence in the quarter-final draw as a bonus. Listen, it's bonus territory, right? Stop nitpicking here. And Stop picking my point holes in my is failed logic. That, my overall point is that Manchester United drawing Bayern Munich is the best possible outcome for David Moyes. Because, because if they lose... Everyone says, look, these are the favourites for the tournament anyway. Who cares? 
Yeah, we, but we expected this to happen. What's, what happens now is any time you have an English club who aren't expected to do well is people talk about Liverpool in 2005 and how did they manage to go and win it? How did Chelsea manage mm-hmm. to go and win the Champions League? Wow, well, because, because Liverpool had a very good manager at the time yeah. and Chelsea, I guess, had a very strong group of players. But yeah, I don't think, you see, I don't think United have the capability to do even what, particularly from that Chelsea point of view, it wasn't pretty at times, it was pretty ugly actually at times. But I don't think United have the capability to do that. I just think that if United lose... 3-0 in aggregate, 4-1 in aggregate. Everyone walks away and goes, you know what? We'll, we'll, well, I think having the first leg at home is a bonus, in my eyes. We are debating the You're not seriously offering a, a, a reason here why Manchester United will actually beat Bayern Munich. No, what I'm saying that the only way they were ever going to keep the second leg relevant was to play at home first. Right, right, right. So they get, might get beaten 1-0, might get a draw, might squeak a win perhaps. At least they go to Munich more lo- more than likely with the tie still alive. You go to Germany for the first leg, you lose 4-0. It's all over. Manchester City beat Bayern this season. And Arsenal beat them last season. Yeah, so, but I mean, I you're talking know. about teams that are, we are potentially going to win the here. Premier League this uh, season. If Bayern Munich beat United 8-0 and aggregate, it would not surprise me. Given yeah. that they beat Olympiacos 3-0 on Wednesday and the Greeks had three or four really, really good opportunities. In other words, blessed to keep a clean sheet. That's my one caveat that... Uh, it is. I think it is a great draw for Devon Moyes. I do think losing 8-0 might uh, sort of negate all that a little bit. Manchester United fans are in at that strange moment that Liverpool fans have had a lot over the years and I guess Ireland fans saw with Trapattoni over the closing months where you're almost hoping if you lose, you lose badly. Mm. That at 3-1, mm. as you said, they walk away and everyone kind of holds their heads up high. I think United fans, they either want to progress or get badly beaten so Moyes is gone. Like a 1-0 defeat to City on Tuesday is no good to Manchester no. United fans. What's no good to Manchester United fans is they just finished sixth. They scrape into the Europa League. Seventh a, is a better finish. Yeah, seventh. Mm. Get, get, keep out of the Europa place League. Sixth place finish is a disaster. Is a disaster <laughs> in that Moyes may stay and you're in the Europa League. And, well, we've seen pretty much what that's done over the last couple of years. Turning point. <laughs> was the Couldn't quite uh, understand that. stuff that was happening in the sky during the week. This is a turning point. Um, he described it as a turning point himself. Yeah, well, of course, he's absolutely going cra- to that's, embrace that's the idea talk. that they have just done a Harry Houdini act and managed to pull this one off. And like, there's a lot of positive and good goodwill towards Manchester United now um, from, from the place they were in. And particularly, I was interested listening afterwards to Wayne Rooney and Ryan Giggs when they gave their interviews to uh, Jeff Shreves on the sideline. And you're kind of waiting at that point for the moment in the conversation where Wayne, uh, Wayne Rooney, um, actually maybe more specifically Ryan Giggs, given everything that's been reported between him and Moyes over the last few weeks, goes, you know what, this was a great result for us, but it's a brilliant result for the manager. We're all behind him. This is an amazing thing to have done. And it just never came. Well, it's not going to come from Ryan Giggs, considering he has his eye on the job. I would have thought the best possibility of Giggs getting the United job sometime soon is if Moyes was to go now. Does, he, does Ryan Giggs want that job? I would imagine so. He's a company man at this stage. Not, not, I wouldn't think he really wants it at the moment, though. Like, no, look but what's happening if, to guys if, like Clarence Seidor from Milan, for example. He's only in the door and already he's under serious pressure, receiving terrible criticism. Giggs needs a little bit of water to flow under the bridge before he ends up in that position. You, want to, you don't want to be the guy, much as you didn't want to be the guy after Ferguson, now you don't want to be the guy after Moyes, you want to be the guy after the guy after Moyes. <laughs> why, you know why, what I'm saying? This is sort of clarity I'm just going to bring on a weekly basis. Why is Giggs so pissed off at Moyes? I, like, is, there, is, it, is this a personality clash? Presumably he's not angling to get Moyes out of the job just for the sake of getting him out of a job. 
Well, if you're if you're to believe what is being said in the fanzines, and we talk to guys like Andy Mitten on news yeah. talking off the ball on a regular basis, and what you read in the papers is that he's been completely pushed aside by the new fellas that David Moyes brought in as part of his backroom team. So gigs at the beginning of the season, he signed as a new one-year deal, and he was told that you are now in a par- coaching role also. And apparently, he's only well, he's only started twelve games this season. And he's had little or no say when it comes to the coaching to the point where he was asked by somebody about his opinion and he said, it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't get listened to anyway. Yeah. So when you see David Moyes in close conversation with Phil Neville during big games, in big moments when deficits need to be overturned, this is a guy who has zero experience being in coaching or management and yet he seems to be David Moyes' confidant and if it's not Phil Neville it's the goalkeeping coach Chris Woods so Giggs must be looking at this thinking like what do these chumps know about coaching that I don't know Your disdain for Phil Neville was dripping off the Phil Neville no, I mean Phil he's Neville a guy who's played yeah, he's played international football for a lot of years How he played in the Premier League for a lot of years the guy that Moyes turns to his go-to guy for example when Ferguson well, was talking to someone on the sideline he yeah. was talking to Mike Phelan who has been coaching for 15 years or Kiros, who've been coaching for 15 years. Yeah, but look, these or are Steve experienced McLaren. players. These are not chumps, you know. And, like, David Moyes can't turn around to Ryan Giggs this week in the middle of the week and say, what do you think, Giggs? What sort of substitute am I going to make here? He's, like, 20 yards away from him out in the middle of the pitch. So but he, but I would he, assume that... He's Phil only Neville, been 20 yards away from out on the pitch 12 times this season. Yeah, but, I mean, the point would be that Phil Neville has always sat beside him and this is probably a relationship that's been developing. I would love to know exactly what Phil Neville brings to the party. Well, I do like well we can't assume that he knows nothing, that he doesn't bring anything to the but party. But I'm just, I'm not assuming that. I'm just mm. telling you that he has zero experience. Mm. But Ryan Giggs has zero experience. I understand that. But I'm just giving you the reasons why Giggs is supposedly really annoyed. Why are you all up in Phil's well, grill here? This is, uh, <laughs> it does have, we're it, talking about Giggs here, not Phil. The question is, why did he appoint Giggs if he wasn't going to use him it as a coach? It was a pure if, exercise. Yeah. Get him on side. And it turns out it's at the complete opposite <laughs> yes, effect. Exactly. Um, in terms of the the impact, obviously all this has like it seemed during the week against Olympiacos that actually Moyes got the team selection correct. But surely, you know, in as much as Giggs, as you said, he hasn't played enough a lot this season, so he's not the long term solution. Obviously, to leaving leaving him out in the pitch, um, and also we can't surely consider a Manchester United team without one Mata in it. You no. know, if this worked, if this worked during the week, Are is this going to be the about- template? Well, he can't play in the Premier League gigs. It, he can't play against Manchester City on Tuesday night. There's no chance because the pace is just so much quicker mm. in that game. Mm. Even the first 20 minutes, the pace of the game on Wednesday night completely resulted in the game bypassing Ryan Giggs. He kept giving the ball away. He was stretching his leg out to try and win the ball back. Couldn't get anywhere near it. He looked every day of his 40 years. It was only when the pace slowed down a little in the second half of the first half and that led to that wonderful ball he played into Van Persie for the penalty. But before that, he looked like he was way off the speed And in fairness to Moyes, I imagine there's a reason he hasn't played what he played once in the last 11 games. That the pressure now is going to be on Moyes to play him against Manchester mm. City, to play mm. him against Bayern Munich in I don't both think matches. That would be a mistake, he, 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 he might play. He'll certainly start one of the two legs against Bayern Munich. For, for, Ryan Giggs had a good game on Wednesday night, but really what strikes me most is that Tom Cleverley's on the bench. Looking out of that, what does it say about him that a 40-year-old player is ahead of him in the pecking order for the biggest game of Manchester United season? Well, what does it say about Marouane Fellaini? Uh, well. even more about he's not, he's, like, he's not, is he even in the conversation here I mean I don't know what, what, what does essentially what does Moyes do here now like, I, what, does I he leave well back in the simple. team and bring Mata in like, what's, you, have what's to bring, the... you have to play Mata mm. I would have thought it's simple you play Van Persie up front Rooney just behind him Yanuzai and Mata on the wings I'm not a big Welbeck fan 
and then Carrick and Ian Other alongside Well, who's him. the Ian Other? That's the, that's the thing, isn't it? Well, Fletcher, if he was fully fit. one of fit, Fletcher, Giggs and Cleverly and Fellaini. One of those four. Yeah, I was at Old Trafford last Sunday. Maron Fellaini looked like a Sunday league player. And I'm not exaggerating. You would have heard John Anderson and Cole commentary alongside me. His first touch is beyond belief. It's that poor. He doesn't have any pace. He can't pass the ball. All he can do is win headers. And that's no good to you in the central Midfield well, I think he proved the other night that he's an option up front when you've For got the last two minutes. Two when run, you need someone, the clock down two minutes to kick it the off the defender. Yeah, it's the sort of he was it's, brilliant. It's the match, match of the day syndrome almost with Fellaini and that. You, you, how often did we see him when he was at Everton? Really, we saw him For in the big games, games at Ron yeah. Sky, mm-hmm. and you'd see him for five minutes, and they show his best bits, and you think he's this outstanding player. It's sort of like Leighton Baines, possibly the same. You don't see their bad sides too often. Whereas at United, when the pressure's on this season, you have to do it every single mm. match well, sir, tell, surely David Moyes I'm not trying to get into his mind we never will do that but he did not sign Marlon Fellaini for £27 million with a view to playing him in that sitting midfield role alongside Michael Carrick that could not have been what was on his mind when he was making that purchase I wonder yeah well what was on his mind yeah. because where was well, he going to play him was well, he going to play behind Rooney and Van Persie can we, can, we, can, we, can we pause it there for a second lads I'm going to introduce somebody to the conversation that is probably a pretty unhighly, highly unlikely uh contributor to the Friday Football Podcast. Nevertheless, welcome Ruby Walsh. And what about Man United? What about that man? I met Alex Ferguson in the changing room on Friday in Cheltenham before racing and I said, what's going on? And he was telling about buying this fella and he bought the wrong fella and I said to him, look, I told you five years ago you had to sell Manny and you wouldn't. He said, a lot of the players are the players you inherited from you. And he's kind of said, yeah, good few of them have to go. He says, but it all depends on, the tra- on, what, on, on what shopping he does in the summer. Um, but to be fair to David Moyes, like who wanted the job from Alex Ferguson? Except you get the kind of money David Moyes got, like I suppose you take it. That's Ruby Walsh and Ted Walsh. Which speaks a lot of sense. Wandered into a shopping centre in Newbridge this week. Seemed Pulled to just a grab of a couple of, uh, couple of loose microphones in. and sit down and have the most randomest of chats that's ever been had, including Ruby talking about uh, chatting to Alex Ferguson at Chatham and Alex Ferguson telling him pretty much I would uh, suggest that buying Marum Fellaini was a bloody big mistake. Well, he's had some pretty dreadful howlers in the transfer market himself and the surgery that is required now wouldn't necessarily have been necessary if Alex Ferguson hadn't just allowed the squad to become a decrepit, be over the hill, past it, shell of a team that won the Champions League six years ago. You can't say that. They cruised to the title last season. How many of the players really perf- are performing now? Yeah, not that's, only that's not, how many of them are performing at a far lower level now than they were last season, which is down to I'm, the manager. <clears throat> out of the starting 11 the other night, you could say uh, really six of the starting 11, if you were to look at their career as a graph, we're on the other side, coming down the other side of the graph. There's a nucleus, nucleus of a Champions League winning team in that... Uh, in that in let's the, not bring Kenny into this. <laughs> I actually agree with some of quite a lot of I, what he said. I, I think would, I the Hayden go goals, yeah. Raphael yeah. right back, Evans, Jones, centre back, all right, you need a new left back. And then as I said, that kind of front, all they need is a new left back, a new midfielder, and they wouldn't be that far off. I wouldn't be sure if about everybody Raphael was, either. But if everybody was playing to their potential. No, you can improve on Raphael, but he's he was fine last season. He's a decent right back. He he is decent. I don't think he's a world class 
right back. He's still very hasty and rash in what he does for a guy who's been playing for as long as he He's has. He's not Seamus Coleman. West Ham United <laughs> are the uh, guests for Manchester United this Saturday. It's the late game, half past five. We haven't really spoken about West Ham very much and we're not really going to spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, Vidic is suspended for this game. Soria Ferdinand uh, looks at start in the United uh, Central Defence here. Interesting to see how he'll go against Andy Carroll. United's uh, waveform been much better than it has been at home this season. So for that, I'm going for a Manchester United win here, Nathan. Yeah, I'm going to go United win as well. As am I. I think they'll get a bit of confidence from what happened during the week. And then it'll be very it's interesting very to see what happens on Tuesday night. But it's all, all season has been one step forward, several mm. steps back very quickly. Big Sam could be the, uh, the fly in the ointment here, of course. He throws his weapon Andy Carroll in and who knows what happens. The early game on Saturday is Chelsea against Arsenal. I was just following a bit of the, uh, there was some Twitter feed, it might have been the TV3 Sport Twitter feed during the uh, Chelsea Galatasaray game during the week and looking at the shape of Chelsea. So every sort of 15 minutes they'd tweet an update of the picture of wherever they were getting these statistics from, of the shape of both teams. Uh, Galatasaray would take your pick like whatever many eight, eight Twitter updates eight different shapes and Chelsea pretty much all the way through the game even after the substitutions had that pretty solid sort of an arc of four uh, behind two three and then one and they pretty much held that shape it was amazing to look at how uh, how solid they were the discipline there yeah very disciplined that's the word Dave good, good choice well that's it going back I don't want to go back over United again but you know exactly what you're getting with Chelsea every single week it's the same formation they may not have a world class striker but they still play this 4-2-3-1 formation every week which United you don't know what you're going to get mm. from game to game Arsenal's 1000th match in charge tomorrow yeah it's uh, not a bad achievement he won 11, 11 trophies in his first 500 matches He's won zero in his second 500 matches. It's an interesting statistic right there. They've had so many opportunities this season to lay down a marker. This is the day where Arsenal lay down a marker. Mm. And aside from the 2-0 victory at home to Liverpool, they failed every single time. They should have done it at the Emirates Stadium against United. Couldn't beat a dreadful United team that night. They've been beaten by Manchester City. Uh, hockeyed at the Etihad Stadium. And they were beaten at home by Chelsea. I think this is their chance to lay down a marker if they're going to win the title they have to win this weekend and I think winning tomorrow will just send a signal not only to us or to the people who continually knock Arsenal but they to its players they, you're good enough to win this championship I think they could win it they have to win tomorrow their record though there is so poor they're the one team that people aren't really speaking about in any great mm. concrete terms about actually winning the thing um, they have had six days of rest and recuperation since their last game as well and, uh, and they have shown consistently this season that they do have a bit of backbone this season every single time they've mm. had a setback they have come back in the right way and I remember earlier in the season there was several games where it was scoreless at half time and you're thinking this is the moment where Arsenal's season flounders and no they go and they scored a couple of goals in the second mm. half and just keep it moving and keep the points clocking up and but as, as Dave says I don't, I don't think Wenger's ever beaten Mourinho it has like, to happen this tomorrow, is the moment it? It has this to is the moment tomorrow. in their they season they are in the table they're four points behind Chelsea with a game in hand it's kind of unlikely to happen at Stamford Bridge it, but, no it probably won't but if and you're if to win a title you have to have yeah, a moment that's like what this. I mean that's the point I mean it has to happen tomorrow if they lose tomorrow it's game over and I think there'll be a huge amount of criticism if they get beaten tomorrow afternoon. If they draw, they're still just about in it. Obviously, the elephant in the room are the games in hand that Manchester City hold. Over Arsenal, they could increase their gap quite considerably. Arsenal shouldn't be worrying about City at the moment. It's all about Chelsea. They're the team that's ahead of them right now. And they have to go there and they have to win tomorrow. I don't know, can they? I don't really see that they have the players to go there and win. Well, 
if uh, victory is based on defence, Koscielny and Mertesacker are Arsenal's statistically two best performers of uh, the season so far. Third, yeah, they're outstanding. Third best season. defence in the in the league. The problem obviously is that they're up against the best defence in the league in uh, Kale and Terry. Well, that's it. Neither side has a world-class striker out there. Mm. Giroud is very good at holding the ball up, but he's just not on that level of Aguero or Suarez. And that's mm. what's probably going to cost Arsenal tomorrow, where you get... At Stamford Bridge, they'll get one chance, two chances maybe. And would you bank on Giroud to take them? I wouldn't be completely convinced. And I, also, I understand the praise that has been coming the way. Mertesacker in particular has been excellent, but Lauren Koscielny at times looks like he's one of the best defenders in the Premier League. But every day you watch him, you know there is a chance that something really stupid is going to happen. Whether it's the handball against Stoke, which I thought was a little bit harsh, but it was if it was a, a defender, did you're back to the game and someone roared and said, one of the Arsenal defenders just handled the ball in the penalty area. It's a penalty kick you know every time it's Lauren Koscielny the stupid challenges he makes the amount of penalties he gives away the red cards he receives when he's on the pitch and he turns inconsistent performances he, look, he looks great yeah. but he's the guy who could turn up tomorrow and he could cost Arsenal the game yeah the statistics would, would counter your point Dave but uh, I do oh I do these things it, only happen once every seven yeah. or eight games mm-hmm. but well, I think always Koscielny him. has been has given away more penalties than anyone else in the Premier League since he moved to Arsenal there you go now he's he's an accident waiting to happen but these days the length of time between these incidents it's it's far greater and that's why he looks a much better player I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow but I wouldn't be full of praise for him because he is capable of throwing and throwing these clangers in I think the way Arsenal play with Giro up front they have so many tidy midfielders that are capable of picking passes out Gazorla, Arteta Wilshire, Ramsey um, Ozil they don't have a striker that can get in behind that when Theo Walcott isn't on the pitch and that's why Giroud sometimes just doesn't it's all well and good him holding the ball up for them but when they want to get in behind a defence there isn't anybody that can do that now without Walcott the Oxlade-Chamberlain is the only one who comes close mm. now and, and he's, and he's playing in the more deep yeah. come deep good, role at the moment coming good the Ox uh, William Ramirez sent off uh, last time out for Chelsea they're suspended and Mourinho too is doing a bit of an Alan Pardew on it this weekend well not quite an Alan Pardew he will be able to watch on from the stands uh, for Chelsea against Arsenal so he, he was actually asked uh, in his press conference this morning about Arsenal and about Arsene Wenger and would he like to pay tribute to Arsene Wenger and he said well look he's lasted such a long time at Arsenal I wish I could stay at Chelsea for so long and you know the Arsenal board have to get a lot of praise as well for sticking with them um, through the tough times and there has been a lot of tough times so uh, that's kind of a bit of a side-handed uh, backhanded compliment there for yeah, Mourinho it's as good as it gets from Jose specialist in failure isn't that what he said a yes. few weeks ago like Mourinho just lacks a bit of grace doesn't he like that Mancini stuff during the week oh you know Mancini said he'd like to go for dinner with you after the game it's like you know you're, you send your mate across the dance floor when you're 15 to ask the hotbird if she'd like to come and have a dance with you Jeff Shreves is the mate in question here and uh, Mancini would like to go for dinner with you the polite thing to say is either listen I'm a little bit tied up I have a prior engagement just downright I don't really want to go for dinner with Roberto Mancini yes it just lacks a bit of grace well, is that only dawning on you now that he lacks grace no not especially this is just the latest chapter in the Mourinho without grace files the latest chapter in the latest volume yeah now he's he's not a nice man yeah. But he's entertaining. Yeah. I remember when he left the last time, I was like, that's 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 fine. I've kind of had enough of Mourinho now at this stage. Now, like everyone else, I did want him to come back. Uh, but I'm not sure how long that's going to last. But uh, I do think Chelsea are going to get the win today. It's the early game, Saturday, 12.45. Nathan? Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea win. I'd love to see Arsenal do it just to really blow the title race open, but I can't see it happening. I'll go for a home win. They're a joy to watch. Freedom, imagination, intensity of work. 
Brendan Rodgers this week on his beautiful Liverpool team there at uh, Cardiff in one of the three o'clock games. Uh, Johnny Giles on Off the Ball this week saying that Liverpool can build from a position of strength next season. And I think that actually nails it from the boy Giles there. I think that uh, they are... I'm getting a few shakes from around the table here. Shakes of heads. Um, I think that... uh, think the title is beyond Liverpool this season I think that to borrow a phrase of Kenny Cunningham there's the nucleus of something good happening at Liverpool and I think next season potentially that might come to fruition No, I disagree completely This is the season This is when they have to do it Next season they're going to be in the Champions League they're going to have to strengthen their squad massively for the extra games they're going to be playing They're in the position now They more or less know if they were to win every game between now and the end of the season they would win the league They're in incredible form They've won their last five matches this is the opportunity they have to take. I just think next season, is, are Suarez and Sturridge going to stay fit? Are, are they going to score the same amount of goals? There's no yeah, guarantees. Well, I mean, look, if, Suarez and, if, if you're talking about Suarez and Sturridge not being fit, then it's a completely different conversation. But on the basis of the players that they have and on the basis of, yes, you're going to pick up a few injuries here and there. We did speak about the strength and depth last week of a lot of those teams up at that end. and There isn't a huge amount of it. But I mean, for example, they have Sacco coming back from injury this week. All of a sudden, there's a little bit more but Depth, next season, if, whatever about strength in, that in 12 area. months' time, if we were sitting here and saying, well, Liverpool are only four points behind with a game in hand, mm. this is exactly where they would want to be in 12 months' time, but they're here now. Mm. Go and do it now. They have The fixtures are set up perfectly for them. They've got two really tough games left against Chelsea and Manchester City, both of them at Anfield. Do it this season. Next season, a year is a hell of a long time in football. Brendan Rodgers mightn't even be Liverpool manager this time next year. This is the moment. Why? Why would he not be? They start the season poorly. Anything. Expectations will be so high for Liverpool next season that it will be extremely difficult for them to match it. Mm. I just think, win it this season. Do it. I think that Brendan Rodgers' graph has been on an upward curve and that will be partly the reason I think that he players are starting to buy into the Brendan Rodgers plan. He's starting to get... These are... A lot of them are now Brendan Rodgers players, apart from anything else, um, which wouldn't have been the case, of course, initially. And that'll be even more so the case, I would suggest, after another summer. And I think the curve is only upward for Liverpool, Dave. I agree with everything that Nathan said. It was like you were copying my notes that were handwritten in my mind. (laughs) The Suarez series thing is so important. They have been so lucky, aside from the suspension, that one or both has been fit for the majority of the game since October. The squad is so threadbare. Looking at their bench last weekend, it's up there with the worst in the Premier League. Coutinho but was none on the bench. Of, none, of the, none of the top four or five teams have anywhere but near enough strength They all have better players depth. than Liverpool. All of them. Their bench is a series of nobodies, aside from Philippe Coutinho or Sterling, whichever one of those two players is on the bench. If you look at the guys I've been trying to bring off the bench this season, Victor Moses, uh, Alberto... Um, Iago Aspas yeah but another, so another, another summer down Sissoko Rodgers brings in a bunch of players so this is, you're exactly you're making my point here no, so no, they I don't have enough strength right finished, now I'm not finished yet they're in the position now where they can win the league if they win all the rest of the games bar just one That's not gonna screw up from Manchester City you know that if they don't win the league this season that Chelsea and Manchester City are going to spend big in the summer and they're going to transform and Liverpool their aren't going to spend again. anything no they will spend money mm. but they're not going to be but able to compete with those other clubs Manchester United are going to have an open checkbook for them to improve their things as well. And I think Tottenham will get a massive name manager in who will demand a huge amount of money from Daniel Levy as well. Yeah, but I think he, it has I don't, to I don't happen think Tottenham can compete with Just the, even compare Liverpool to Chelsea looking ahead to next season. Exactly. How much better Hazard is... Hazard is going to be better. Oscar is going to be better. They're going to have a striker. Centre forward. 
And I think Matic you know, William will have bedded in. Matic yeah. will be absolutely superb. Cahill will continue to develop as a centre half. Aspilicueta is just having a wonderful season. Ivanovic is the best right back in the league at the moment, up there with Seamus Coleman. And I just think if it doesn't happen this season for Liverpool, they won't win it with that squad, with the Champions League to deal with as well. I believe in Brendan, lads. I'm sorry. I believe in Brendan now. So I think, though, if you <laughs> no, sat down to Brendan Rogers at the beginning of August and said, Brendan, with what, eight games left, nine games left, you're going to be four points off the lead with a game in hand next season, he would he'd bite your hand off. They're yeah. unquestionably the but best I, I, team of the league I, at the moment. I, I agree with that. And, and you see, my point would be that if they can get themselves into that position, ideally with the summer down, they get a whole few, three or four new players into the squad and they're in a better position to compete. Like, I don't think Manchester City can't strengthen a huge amount in a lot of positions, perhaps in one or two places. Chelsea can't necessarily strengthen, well, maybe they could bring in a striker in 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 a huge amount of positions. Like, these are bloody strong teams, strong squads and Liverpool have, Liverpool don't have that strength and are still competing. They're the best team in the Premier League right now. The question is, and now we're they're entering... Four, they're four points off the top. Now mm-hmm. we're entering the period where we'll find out about Liverpool because... This is, for most of the players, the first time in a title race. And I remember Brendan Rodgers saying earlier in the season, I think it was after they lost at home to Southampton, and he said, the players need to realise that you don't get these games back. Mm. Which is, that when at the end of the season, when you're adding up your points and you're wondering how you get to 86, 87, the points you lose against Southampton, you know, against away to Cardiff, you have to be relentless at this time of the season. You just have to win, win, win. And that's what I'm saying. If they can win all their games and then focus on that city... Chelsea match because they're the ones that will decide the title Gerard is another issue as well he's been fit for two seasons now mm. aside from the hamstring problem that he picked up in December I don't know will that happen again next season when he's a year older he's been absolutely vital uh, but I mean this you've kind of answered your own question there he's been fit for two seasons yeah and he's so going like, to be a year like a, older let's next like a, season let's not get overly worried about him I'm, look you I'm know, just if saying he, if, he'd been, but if he picked up a bunch of injuries over the last two seasons and you think well here's a guy who is looking a bit fragile when it comes to looking after himself when, when he's there you see how crucial he is mm. if he's not there next season there's, I just think there is a far greater chance of Liverpool winning this season's Premier League than next season's Henderson's improving and yeah. yeah he has he's been excellent but there's no one behind them and they're going to have the Champions League to worry about as well I think them playing in the Champions League as well is going to cost them any chance of winning the Premier League next season. Yeah, it has that's, to that's, happen. That's this is that, it. Liverpool, that, need to, yeah, yeah. Liverpool need to buy five... If they qualify for the Champions League, they need to buy five or six players in the summer. Not necessarily even players in the starting eleven, no, but good players that can bring off the bench that can have an impact on games. They haven't a serious... One single guy can impact a game from the bench aside from Philippe Coutinho. Uh, Liverpool eight wins from ten games. The other two games were draws and a pretty good streak of form. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, reckons... After uh, even after the loss to Everton uh, last weekend, that his Cardiff side have turned a corner. In his words, I kind of feel it's that corner when you're out for a Sunday drive and you're looking for a nice pub in Wicklow to get a bit of a carvery lunch, and you take a turn down a country road, and you're sure that's the one that's going to lead you to this promised land. And two hours later, you wind up in Limerick. You're in the wrong place. I think that's the sort of corner corner that. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has uh, has turned. I think Cardiff are going down, and I think Liverpool are going to win this weekend. They could score five or six very easily. Yeah, get an early goal. It's over. Liverpool win. Uh, Manchester City against Fulham. Uh, come to the cottage, Eden. Uh, was a headline today in one of the UK, uh, this week in one of the UK newspapers. Felix McGath telling Deco to come to Fulham <laughs> if he's becoming frustrated at Manchester City. Uh, McGrath, McGath brought him to Wolfsburg in 2007, and everything Still I read, Wolfsburg's top score. Everything I read and hear from Felix McGath, he's just a curious sort. Um, City obviously out of the FA Cup out of the Champions League and I think on that point like we're not obviously having a discussion about who's going to win this game but uh, in terms of Manchester City's title ambitions 
out of both of those competitions now and I think that does leave them in a strong position It does and playing Fulham is an excellent position to be in as well at home despite the fact that Fulham won last time out um, and I think the it's made the race at the bottom to void relegation so intriguing because it, all it needed was a Fulham win and everything was going to get bunched up again like it was about six weeks ago but they're not going to get anything from this game I really don't think they will the only a couple of problems for Manchester City is that Sergio Aguero's out and he even when he was playing he was clearly unfit Negredo hasn't uh, a maintained his fitness, or B been able to keep the goal scoring rate that he had up when Aguero was when Aguero gone, yeah. was gone, and it's all down to Ed and Jekyll, and I just don't think they'll be able to get enough goals. And he's off in Fulham, the biggest so of games, I... going to Anfield, for example. Mm. So I think they'll win this weekend, but the Villa victory over Chelsea could be the single biggest moment in City season. Yeah, I think I said last week that City's title race comes down to Aguero if they can somehow get him back fully fit for the last five or six games because they do have these three games in hand so they're going to have a lot of double game weeks between now and the end of the season if Aguero is fully fit I think they win the title if he's not if he's they're rushing him back again just I just can't see it as you say Jekyll Negredo he's gone off form completely I think it's between Liverpool and Liverpool and Chelsea unless unless Aguero comes back because he is he just has that X factor that Suarez has and that Hazard has the one counterpoint to um the idea that City have kind of become a poor team. The teams that they've lost have been Barcelona and Chelsea, who are. I, think oh, I don't think they're a poor they're team. Pretty, they're pretty decent, pretty but decent players. The, the City team that was just sweeping all as- aside two months ago, mm. around the turn of the year, when you Negredo and Aguero just scoring together for fun, that is a that seems like a distant memory. Liverpool have become that team. They yeah. have, yeah. Before that Chelsea game, you just thought City are going to win every single mm. home game this walk. season. I was worried they would be eight, ten points clear yeah. by the end of March. Company is suspended as well this weekend, so uh, it's an ideal we afternoon get to have a to look serve at that uh, Dean Michaelis uh, for the afternoon. Costas uh, Mitroglou, the Fulham saviour, at least that was the way it was supposed to be. I don't know how many games he's played for Fulham, it can't be that many. He's injured again this weekend. <laughs> Dijaga as well, who scored a couple of big goals for Fulham over the last few weeks. Um, and remember too that uh, the two of these have been 2 2 at Craven Cottage back in December with 12 minutes to go uh, before a couple of late goals uh, pulled it out of the fire. Fulham for could City. make it difficult for them, but. Yeah, no, look, sorry. I'm, this wasn't that was not meant to be an attempt at bigging just Fulham up here. Fulham. Uh, City home win. Yeah, City, City. City home win. Uh, just a couple of quick sweep on the other games. Uh, Hull City against West Brom. Hull beaten by City last weekend, 2 0 there. West Brom beat Swansea. They came from behind to do that. Perhaps signs that the Pepe Mel plan starting to bear a little bit of fruit. I'm going to go for a West Brom win here at the KC. Yeah, Hull's home form has collapsed over the last couple of months and they're more or less safe. So I think West Brom has more to play for. West Brom. I wouldn't say they're more or less safe. They're like the five points off the bottom three with eight games left. I think they have the most quality of any team in the bottom half of the table. But they're not more or less safe. Who are we talking about here? West There's Brom? There's no single no, team Hull. in that position at the moment. They're looking over their shoulder going, oh, we're all right from here. Five points clear, yeah. Pro- yeah, but see Bruce th- is sitting there and he's thinking, all right, I've got Shane Long and I've got Jelovic. And five points in that climate is massive. I've been saying this for weeks and um, people have been It was rubbishing. until Fulham won last weekend. It's still massive. I it's think that the problem for all is that they've got all of their players have an eye on the cup semi-final want to make sure they're fit to go to Wembley that could be a problem for them well I, L- I, I don't Long think and Jelovic are cup tied so I can't see West Brom going there and beating Hull I can I'm going to go for a Hull victory just to be different or at least you're not going for a draw anyway uh, you went for West Brom West Brom Everton against Swansea Everton have won their last six home games in a row and I suspect are going to win this one as well I suspect it'll be seven draw 
It's controversial. Um, it is the man last, who got week seven I, out of last week, last week, I predicted so. that uh, everything season would just fade out, and that uh, of course it was all going according to plan. Until, uh, Seamus Coleman miskicked in the last minute, but yeah, I think <coughs> Swansea might just nick a point. Well, all United fans will be hoping that Everton win this game. Which Seamus Coleman are you talking about? That's really the question. Which oh, there's two Seamus Coleman. Yeah, well, according to uh, Martinez this week, when there was, it was mooted that Manchester United said, might be interested in Seamus Coleman, I haven't Coleman. heard anything from anyone. You know, a bit in terms of a move yeah. to Manchester United. Who would have said it to you? No one's going to talk to you about Seamus Coleman. <laughs> Maybe it's another Seamus Coleman is what he suggested. Like it's got, uh, if this is happening, it'll happen behind your back, Roberto, and your manager will come to you or your chairman will say, we've been offered 25, 30, 35 million for Seamus Coleman. There's nothing you can do about it. It's got nothing to do with Roberto Martinez. Relax, Roberto. You've got Tony Hibbert there. He's just, <laughs> yeah. he's just gagging for a game at this stage. Uh, Newcastle against Crystal Palace. Alan Parge is saying this week, I didn't get this because Alan Pardew said this week in the media that he spoke to John Carver during when they lost to Fulham last week about substitutes and yeah, John agreed with what I thought and yeah, so we went ahead and pulled the trigger on those decisions. My understanding was that he couldn't have any contact whatsoever with not his even coaching staff when he's, when he's banned from the stadium. He's a three-game stadium ban. Have we just uncovered a, some sort okay. of a... <clears throat> Premier League atrocity here. But is there any way of stopping him just ringing him on his mobile? Hey, no. what are you at this afternoon? Well, he's not, afternoon? Are you going the spirit, shopping? Oh, no, the, I'm spirit, at the, match. the spirit of the rule is that he's not supposed to make contact with his coaching the staff. The spirit of the rule are the actual rule. Actually, maybe the rule. Which 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 might be um you might bring that into question given that Pardew actually spoke to Sky about this during the week and that was what he said. I don't Who know. Who cares anyway, really? Uh, I think it's interesting. I'm kind of intrigued by what Alan, Alan Pardew is up to. In the same way that I was kind of happy to see David Moyes slumber away from the gallows during the week they could do a bit of a, uh, a being in Newcastle on uh, Alan Pardew while he's out of while he's out of the stadium just follow him around for the day that see might where be he watches the idea. match and we might dispatch you uh, that direction on Saturday afternoon Newcastle against Crystal Palace uh, Newcastle of course as I said lost to Fulham last weekend I'm going for a home win here so am I yeah home win yeah Palace away are a disaster uh, Norwich City against Sunderland. Uh, Sunderland drew nil nil with Palace last weekend. The Norwich slide continues. They lost four two to Southampton, and all that combines from my money to a Sunderland win. This is a six pointer, I think you might call it. They're all virtuals uh, at this stage <laughs> of the season, Dave. Yeah, the, virtual, um, the literal. I don't know. Pointer. I don't know. Will Sunderland go there and win? But I think that they do. That it makes things very interesting. Norwich are four points above Sunderland, and I think they may. I'm going to go for a draw on this one. My only draw of the day. I'll go Sunderland. Couple of Sunderland wins there. They are currently twenty-five points, three points from safety. Crystal Palace directly above them. I think this is the minute. What about the big uh, games of the weekend? Chris Poyet. The big games of the weekend are on Sunday. Tottenham against Southampton is where we start our day. Half past one. Nathan will be there with uh, Kevin Caban. You were watching Spurs last uh, weekend, Nathan. Uh, I was nearly, well, I won't say assaulted, but I, I nearly. You were assaulted I was, I was by atta- the gilet. I was attacked by the gilet, essentially. Luckily, one of the Spurs <laughs> substitutes saved myself and Stephen Honda yeah. was uh, coming directly for us, but he stuck his hand up and grabbed it. He wears, a, he, wears a, he wears a gilet well, I have to say. The only other man in football I know who wears a gilet that well would be John Giles. Does a lovely line in a gilet. Different era. It's a different... Yeah. It's old school. I mean, you're a football man if you can wear a gilet and sort of get away with it, you know? I'm intrigued to see what Tim Sherwood does this weekend because for the last three or four matches, there's been some controversy even last night at Benfica deciding I'm going to sit in the stand because I don't want to have another row with Jorge Jesus mm. I'm just going to and then laughing when Benfica scored the penalty at the end and joking around 
But maybe he was just in that space. Behavior. You know when you're watching a game and you follow a team and you realise that... At some, but so he doesn't follow a team, he's the manager. You've invested, in fact, he follows Arsenal. You've invested a lot in this uh, team, right? And so it's very important that they win this thing. And it comes toward the end and it's quite clear that your team are not going to win the game. And so at that point you're like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Who cares? I'm not really worried about it. Maybe that's just the frame of mind he was in. Yeah, the same frame of mind that uh, makes him speak to the press and tell them that I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here next season. Tim, you know you're not. Everybody knows you're not. You know you're not. Stop the players saying know things you're not, like that. The players the know you're not. There's, There's zero chance. Super zero valuing. chance that he'll be there next season. He says that Spurs outplayed Arsenal last weekend, Nathan. You're two cents on that? I, I thought Arsenal deserved to win because I thought they defended so well. Spurs had their couple of chances at the start of the second half, which Chadley didn't take. Aside from that, they had a lot of the possession. They were at home. You might expect that in general. I think Arsenal were they took their chance it was a brilliant goal at the start um, I, I don't know what, what do you think when you go to White Hart Lane do you ever worry that the manager can hear what you're saying <laughs> I definitely you had a moment closer. where I said something about Arsene Wenger and he turned around and was thinking uh oh you are closer to the managers like you're, what, you're 10 rows back yeah. from the front row of the dugout where the managers sit um, I'm not quite sure they could hear us but if you shouted loudly enough could well happen uh, I'm going to go for I'm going to book my usual trend here and commit to a dress fairly high scoring draw well 2-2 some of them in that, uh, that variety Spurs yeah home win for me Aston Villa against Stoke uh, Dave you're at this one with John Anderson this weekend back to back home wins for Villa for the first time in four years with that win over Chelsea last weekend Stoke haven't won any of their last 13 away games and failed to score in six of their last nine away from home they haven't won away from home since August they beat West Ham in August and they haven't won since which is an incredible record only Cardiff have picked up less points than Stoke on the road and I don't think they're going to pick any up this weekend. Clean sweep on Villa. They're trying to influence our decision with all these stats. So I'm, not I'm trying going to, to go for. Here. I'm, I'm going to go for a draw. Just giving you, uh, giving you facts. I'm going to go for a draw. Well, at least that's one point. Five of the last eight games between these Nathan two have been draws. Somebody's been doing the research. <laughs> Lads, pleasure. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah.